Hello, Monetization Nation. Alan Held is an inspiring and successful futurist. He co-founded and served as chairman and president of MicroAge, which he helped grow into a billion-dollar company in a seven-year period. He has an MBA from Harvard with an emphasis in entrepreneurship, and he is the founder and manager of American Law Firm Funding. More than two decades ago, Alan was one of my advisors when I was a 25-year-old CEO of a publicly traded SaaS company. In today's episode, we're going to discuss Alan's entrepreneurial journey and how he found success through identifying business tectonic shifts. Tectonic shifts are constantly transforming the earth and business, causing destruction and huge growth opportunities. I'm Nathan William, the host of Monetization Nation, where we learn how to leverage business tectonic shifts to transform monetization. Thank you so much for joining us on the show today, Alan. This is such a great blast from the past. Uh, I'm glad to hear all is going well. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about your journey, your story of, first of all, creating MicroAge into a billion-dollar company? You know, I, I think in, in your TED presentation that you have online, uh, the idea of passion is a strong motivator and extremely important to being effective and successful in business and what other people might call lucky if you have to become successful. And um, the, the key thing to me is, is to identify something you do have passion in. And ironically, uh, it had nothing to do with really computers. If you go back to the, oh, the early 70s, I, I came out of the army. I uh, went to uh, uh, Phoenix to get a job. I was newly married, uh, struggling a little bit. Uh, took me six months to find work, but <laughs> which was very frustrating. Uh, then I, uh, I got involved in uh, uh, what became a passion, which is future studies through a friend of mine. And I started the Phoenix chapter of the World Future Society in 1973. And I got very involved. I taught future studies for a number of years. And what I realized is that when you talk about the future, you, you just can't say, oh, you know, this science fiction thing will happen, this will occur. What you really have to look at is some underlying patterns that might give you a hint as to how the world is changing and how new opportunities as a result of that are being created. In other words, you have to change the way you look at the world by identifying patterns and then projecting those patterns. And at that time, obviously, I was a baby boomer and it was very early. You know, baby boomers at the front end were in their early 20s. Uh, they were coming of age, just like any generation comes of age, like the generation today coming of age. And they have a big influence on what is about to happen in the society. So I identified several patterns that were emergent. Uh, one was the coming of age of the baby boom. You can argue today that's a different generation, coming of age of maybe the millennials or the X generation or the Z generation. The diffusion of microelectronics. And I didn't know what that meant, uh, but I knew that microelectronics, which essentially emerged uh, in the late 50s, was changing everything. You had miniaturized radios, you have all kinds of things that miniaturized calculators, you know, text instruments speak and spell, which is actually still around. We're using technology, very limited, but it was moving very quickly. 
I saw the emergence of what I call many-to-many communications, because at that time, the baby boomer generation was involved in many-to-many communications without the use of the technology we have today. And I was also saw that individuals, specifically the baby boomers, were focused on growth-oriented individualism. In other words, they want to grow as individuals and work with others in their society through many, too many communications. And like today, there was parent crises at all different levels. So the kind of crises you had back then is potential nuclear Armageddon, you know, all kinds of stuff. The emergence of uh, issues about how to grow the economy, uh, what to do with the environment, et cetera, civil rights, all just emergent and, and viewed as crises. So a lot of these things aren't unusual today, but how those patterns were then and how they emerged are quite different. The one that caught my attention of, out of all those things was the, the technology, which may leverage all the other patterns. And that technology was microelectronics. So I taught this consistently right, for years. And around 1975, I went to a convention in Washington, D.C. held by the World Future Society. It was a very exciting. Uh, there was a lot of tension involved because there was counterculture, activity, all kinds of stuff going on in dialogue, communication, but forceful. Everyone had strong feelings. And on the way out, they had a place where there's a vendor place. right? And there's a guy standing on the chair hawking a magazine called Creative Computing by a guy named David Hall, who's the publisher. And I got a copy of Creative Computing and opened it up and it said, Altair kit computers for sale. And then it dawned on me that that was the emergence of the diffusion microelectronics technology to provide computer power to virtually anyone who wants it with whatever secondary and tertiary events will fall from that. And I made a commitment at that point that I was gonna engage in that because it was gonna be a transformative industry that will change the world probably unlike any previous change. And I started a computer store with a business partner called the Bike Shop in 1976. It was the first computer store in Arizona, maybe the 12th in the world, and emerged into a company called MicroAge, which ultimately became a $6 billion company with 6,000 employees in the late 1990s. But it was all around the passion and vision and the vision helped me see opportunities that I wouldn't otherwise have seen. And I didn't just sit on it and talk about it. I basically started to figure out, well, how can what I know, since I knew nothing about computers, basically. Well, I knew some because I, I was programming, working. I managed a group that programmed uh, Univac computers in a bank. But that had nothing really to do with this. So I really knew nothing about kit computers. I knew nothing about building kit computers, building any kind of electronic kit, but I was excited about it. So I was open to learn. And I realized that all my skills I developed up till then, I didn't really have to create new skills. I had the skills ready. I just had to reapply it to how things were changing in the world, which I did. You know, the idea of opening up a store, you know, that's, a, that's an understood phenomenon. Selling kit computers is like selling anything else. So I could take skills I developed, learning to how to run a business, learning how to grow a business, well, I was trained in that. So I was ready to engage, along with many other people, by the way, 
in this endeavor. And then the last thing is, you know, you, you may feel you can see an opportunity, you know you can engage in it, but if you don't have the motivation to actually take action, well, it's an idea and, you know, 20 years from now, you regret having never done it, right? Yeah. So my motivation at the time, well, one, I was young, just married, not making a lot of money, uh, but that wasn't the issue. The motivation was I wanted to be involved. I had a passion to be involved in this dramatic change that I believe would occur in our society as a result of this lonely kit computer and what it can mean as it evolves into something much more substantial as a business system, as a personal computer. And, and at that time, we really didn't envision, uh, you know, handheld, well, we talked about it, but envision cell phones and what they would, we just envisioned this technology would continue to expand and grow. So that's how I get started. And uh, I think a lot of entrepreneurs, or would be entrepreneurs, uh, should follow a path like that. I mean, you should really look at the world and start rethinking how you see it and see if you can see things, patterns, and trends that would emerge and change the world around you, if not change the entire world, that would create new opportunities you could otherwise see had you not start considering those trends and patterns. And then once you see some, you're going to have to evaluate them in some way. But don't be discouraged if you think you don't have skills or the experience or the understanding because what you know now can be completely applied to something new in the future if you only spend some time to understand how that works yeah once you understand how something works all kinds of traditional or or skills and experience and understanding knowledge can be reapplied to emergent future activities you won't become obsolete. So you don't want to get discouraged that you're going to have to spend years figuring out how to develop the capability to get involved. You know. um, and finally, the last thing you have to worry about is, you know, how do I act? And a lot of times you act because you feel you have no resources and so you don't do anything. But the reality of that is it's not a resource-constrained activity, especially in something that's a new opportunity. It's a motivation-constrained opportunity. So if you're motivated by passion, that's very powerful. Or if you're just motivated by the desire to survive because you're going bankrupt, <laughs> that's, that's also a very powerful motivator. So whatever motivates you allows you to act on the opportunity and bring what you know how to do into a new world uh, that has different ways of getting things done. And that's really the key to, uh, to making your business endeavor or entrepreneur idea fruitful. And it can be done on a small scale, or you may tie into a pattern or a change that's extremely transformative globally. In that case, you have an opportunity to build something very, very significant over time. Although the reality of it is not everybody gets a chance to do that. And it's really a function of uh, some ideas of chance being in the right place at the right time, but more so, more than anything, is the motivation you have, specifically the kind of passion you have, coupled uh, with the fact that you're resilient. You respond to failure as a learning experience, not as a defeat. And you look for solutions 
So you talk about being able to identify these tectonic shifts by identifying patterns from the past and then layering them on what's happening in the world today. Did I state that correctly? Well, you can do both. Actually, I was looking at what I call emergent patterns. Okay. Because I was dealing with generational shift, right? And then what I saw in that generation, like many to many communications, uh, the fact that challenges were motivating everybody to get active and they're looking for things to do with that energy, uh, the whole idea of diffusion microelectronics, right? How did that all come together in an emerging? Well, it, it wouldn't if it wasn't all there as a package, or at least I perceived it as a package. So I saw that if, if indeed there was a kit computer, that the coming of age of the baby boomer, the need for the way we communicate, get things done, uh, the fact that there's a lot of challenges in front of us would drive this technology beyond just being a kid. Right. If you didn't see all that, you would just say it was a kid computer and who wants, who's going to make any for that? So how do people building kits unless you're a model builder? Right. So how do people improve their ability to see those tectonic shifts? How do they change their mindset so they can see them when they're happening? Well, it's, it's opening up. You're aware of all this. You know, it's, it's not that you're not aware of these things, right? It, it's how you perceive them. So patterns are there, or their perceptions, right? It's how you perceive them. And so the, the trick really becomes as I think you would probably say, stepping out of the box, right? Mm -hmm. Stepping out of the box. And if you start to see emergent patterns, are you looking for them? Suddenly you apply those patterns to other things that are going on around you. Yes. And you start to see opportunity. For example, a kit computer in isolation is a ridiculous thing. Who's going to sit down and perform 3000 solder joints, right? On a box of electronic components. If anyone doesn't work, it fails. It just sounds preposterous. Who would do that, right? At least maybe a couple hundred people might do it. Uh, but if you view that as the start of something which will change the way the world works, and why? Because it gives people opportunity to access computer power. Yep. Which ultimately means manipulating information which if you can connect those things together, you want to see a little bit further, which means we can share information that we couldn't share before. Why? Well, because large computers do it, right? And it's, it's analogous to a lot of things. It's analogous to um, power generation, right? Steam power versus electrical power. Well, electrical power is much more mobile, right? Tied with the electric engines, much more mobile, right? So suddenly you have distributed power everywhere. What does that mean? Well, suddenly you can look at everything around you that you were and say, God, how would this change? Right? Yeah. And frankly, it, it doesn't have to be so dramatic. I'll give you a good example. There's a great show on History Channel, uh, The Men Who Make Made America. They'll probably change it to The People Who Made America, but that's yeah. the show. The, uh, the show itself, talks about, started off talking about Rockefeller, Vanderbilt, you know, the people who created the glass change in the 19th century. But then they created another show, which was a little bit different. It's called The Food That Made America. 
and the passion and innovation that went into making Duke food, candy, different kinds of canned food, stuff like that, is just as strong as the passion that went into uh, creating uh, new forms of power, new forms of transportation, which occurred at the turn of the 20th century. So it doesn't have to be something so earth-shattering. Yeah. It just has to be, as you point, tectonic in the con confines or the nature of the specific area that you're looking at. It could be teaching. It, it could be sports. It could be anything, right? But you're yeah. looking for that, that particular innovation that will, and it doesn't have to be, you don't have to build it. You can sell it, right? You can support it. You can distribute it. You can make, fix it. There's a lot of things you can do with that that will have a, as you point out, a tectonic or transformative effect on some major need or anticipated need or unrecognized need, which were computers at that time, that consumers will have. And that's the wonder of our economic system. Capitalism is that it matches existing, emergent, unrecognized, unmet needs with existing or future capabilities that need to be developed. And money flows into that, but more individuals with passion, motivation flow into it who make things happen with virtually nothing like Steve Jobs building a PC in his garage. Bill Gates going to IBM and saying, I can get you an operating environment. He didn't have one, but he knew where to buy one. He bought one for $50,000 and became DOS. And IBM didn't want to own it. So Bill Gates had it, created Microsoft. So it doesn't require a lot of resources. It requires a lot of motivation and the ability to address failure and view it as an opportunity to succeed. I love that. I love that point. So so one of the one of the key ways to find these tectonic shifts is to look at failures, look at problems, look at challenges and and then flip them on their head and and find the opportunity that exists in those challenges. Yeah, you, you can look at, that's, that's a good point. You can look at why other people didn't succeed. They're doing that now in fusion research, right? You know, we have the, the gigantic ITER in, in uh, France that costs tens and tens of billions of dollars to build. We have kids in their home creating fusion devices, right? We then take that knowledge, they're not commercial, and get interested in creating something that their level of resources can help build and attract capital. Uh, you have a company in um, Australia that took some research and some work that a scientist had been, theor theoretical scientist, working on for years, and it was having trouble making it work because there's no technology available to make it work until they came up with the, what's called the uh, PICO uh, pulse laser or chirp laser, which suddenly allows you to, to do what's called boron fusion inside of a sphere that maybe is five foot in diameter with a neutralization and it converts fusion of hydrogen and boron directly into some heat and electricity that can be extracted directly without a steam boiler, just directly extracted. That's a company called HB11 in Australia. Now, that's an innovation that would have gone by the wayside 
if it was just done by large entities who really saw no too much risk and not enough benefit of making something happen over 10 to 12, 15, 20 years. Yeah. I, I think going back to a, a previous comment you made too, we were, we were talking about um, how do we find these tectonic shifts? And you mentioned the, the concept of bringing two things together. And uh, so for example, you have a background in business and, and you were interested in this futurist stuff and you went to the futurist conference and you saw the PC. And so someone who has a, a background in business and sees the computer, they put those two things together and they see the value of one thing um, combined with something else, right? Taking the, the personal computer to the business. Um, for example, I had some background with adoption and the internet came out. And so in my mind, I, I said, okay, how can the internet help adoption? And I saw a tectonic shift for an industry by putting two things together. Maybe that's another secret is uh, we're, when we're looking for tectonic shifts is we, we put two things together, right? We, we take something that's maybe transforming a different industry and we figure out how that same thing can transform our industry. And, and by putting two things together, we create a, a tectonic shift for our specific industry. Yeah, I, and let, let me elaborate a little bit more on that. Um, the idea, and I don't want people to be frustrated just because they don't have a business degree or, or business people. That's not the issue. The issue is really, do you see a need out there? You know, our, the, the concept of commerce, well, the concept of human relations are based on needs and the ability to fulfill those needs and the capabilities that are available to, for someone to fulfill those needs with, right? And of course, we call that business, but you don't have to call it that. You can call that how people get along. And if you see a need out there, and, and, and this is where it becomes a little challenging, because a need has to be large enough eventually, not initially, but eventually, that it can make whatever you're doing self-sustaining. Because you may be a nonprofit, right? What's the goal of a nonprofit? To meet needs in a self-sustaining way. And, and it doesn't mean you have to make profits for stockholders. It just means you have to do it in a self-sustaining way. Now, to meet those needs, you have to understand the needs, and you have to determine whether the needs are large enough not only today to allow you to get started, but even if they're not today, you may be able to invest your time in it uh, until people recognize they have a need and you have a way to fulfill, you have the capability to fulfill those needs. That capability could be a product, could be a service, could be any number of software, right? Uh, and that's, that's, that's the mechanism by which you need to look at this. So don't get off put by the fact, oh, I don't have any business skills. I don't like, I don't like business people. I don't like to sell. You know, you know all the excuses why you don't do something. Say, look, I'm passionate about this. Maybe I can get the right people together to make it work, right? I see a need, maybe small now, but emerge if we do it this way, or if we have this product to go in there, or if something we can invent that would go in there, or a service we can build that no one else has, or deliver in a way that's more cost-effective or more effective overall, It'll meet a need that's there and emerging. And that's the basis of self-sustaining. If needs are emerging and people are, are willing to, 
to take their resources and support meeting those needs. In some cases, just buying things, right? Other cases, it's volunteer work. Then it can be self-sustaining and grow. It's sort of like we're humans. I mean, to be self-sustaining, you have to eat food, the right food, right? You have to know where to get it. If you don't, you die. Same thing with businesses. So you don't really have to put up the barrier that, God, I'm not a business person to do this. Thank you so much, Alan, for sharing your stories and insights with us today. Here are some of my key takeaways from this episode. Number one, sometimes we may hesitate to act on our ideas because we'll, we feel we are lacking resources, but really we're probably lacking motivation and passion. Number two, passion is one of the greatest motivators. If we are passionate about our businesses, we will be more likely to pursue the idea and take advantage of an opportunity. Number three, we should look for underlying patterns and business tectonic shifts in the world and other industries that might give us a hint as to how the world and our industry is changing. Number four, one of the key ways to find these tectonic shifts is to look at the biggest failures, problems, and challenges, and then create a better solution. Number five, we can take our current knowledge and skills and apply them to a new emerging industry to help propel us towards success. If you want to learn more about Alan or connect with him, you can find him on LinkedIn. And there's a link to his LinkedIn profile in the blog post for this episode at monetizationnation.com. Do you want to be a better digital monetizer? Then please follow these channels to receive free digital monetization content. Number one, please subscribe for free to the Monetization e-magazine at monetizationnation.com. Number two, please subscribe to the Monetization Nation podcast and YouTube channel. And number three, please follow Monetization Nation on Instagram and Twitter. How do you identify business tectonic shifts and patterns? Please join our private Monetization Nation Facebook group and share your insights with other digital monetizers. Thanks for joining me for this episode. I wish you success as you strive to identify the business tectonic shifts that you can leverage. Do you want to become a better digital monetizer? To receive great monetization stories and secrets, please go to monetizationnation.com and join free. And if you liked today's episode, please subscribe to the show and share it.